welcome to the 11th episode of Digest Cast, a podcast dedicated to the belief that big things come in small packages. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. Together, we are known as the Pied Piper of the Man Children, and we are proud members of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I want everybody to know that we are recording this very late, and Shag promised me that we would be done by a certain time. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that time is, but I'm going to let you know if we break that time, which we will. <laughs> He's just trying to slow us down right here. So it has been forever since we did one of these. Uh, you and Sean, Sean Myers, was kind enough to step in and record the last one with you on Super Friends back yes. in April. It's my favorite Digest cast so far. Yeah, that was fantastic. What was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it was always short in my speakers. Um, so interesting. That's a bit of a, uh, a lead into some other project you might be working on, right? Yes, I do have another podcast uh, for all mankind. Of which course is you do have another about, podcast. Yes, of course I do. If it, uh, which is all about the Super Friends DC comic, which will be coming out soon. Yes, I have that, that, that coming up. I am so excited about that. I cannot wait to guest star on some of the episodes involving the Global Guardians. Okay. By the way, that's the first time Rob has heard that. So excellent. And, and wait, you will. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, let's get into this. We, uh, as you know, with the Digest cast, we are here to celebrate our love of these beloved, beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 1970s and 1980s. Okay, boomer. And um, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> well, Timely. <laughs> All right. That's what I was going for. So <laughs> this is specifically our Veterans Day special. We did this last year, you may recall. We did, a, we did one on war comics, and we really enjoyed it, and we felt like, you know what, this is the right thing to do again this time of year. And given that uh, this episode is going to drop on November 10th, I believe it is, it, uh, it's, you know, it's right in line with Veterans Day. seems like a good time. And uh, for those of you international listeners, as we know we have, you know, you might be wondering, what is Veterans Day? Well, the shortcut version is basically here in the United States, it's, uh, it's a public holiday to celebrate the end of World War I. A lot of people call it Armistice Day, I believe, around the, on the, around the world. Uh, but in the United States, Veterans Day actually replaced Armistice Day. Now, as we know, and especially this time of year, we're all very, very, very aware that we live in a politically divided country. Um, in fact, the world has gotten very politically divided. In fact, it's not fun for anybody. So um, I, I believe that one thing that we all can sort of agree on, though, is that thanking the men and women of the United States Armed Forces who put their lives on the line to protect our country and our freedoms. And I, I, I firmly believe in that. And regardless of what side you might sit politically, we all, I think, can hopefully agree on that. So to all the veterans out there, uh, you have our respect and our appreciation. And thank you very much. And we know some of you are listening. Special salutations to my dad, who served in the Navy for three years during the Korean conflict. Wow, man. Okay, so does he have mash stories? Uh, no, he was in the, he was in the Navy, so he was on a, a ship, and also in the, he didn't see any action. Well, he saw action, but not the kind of war action. That oh my We're goodness. talking about in these comics. Oh God! <laughs> what, what way way to class it up, Rob. <laughs> These are the stories he told me. What do you want from me? All right, so this year for Veterans Day, we have picked another Sergeant Rock Digest with lots of tales of U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, like last year, we want to thank a uh, friend of the network, Luke Giaconetti, Giaconetti, for the inspiration to cover the Sergeant Rock Digest. And, folks, if you want to talk about this on the Internet, please use our hashtag, which is PoundFWPodcast. However, we are going to ask you to use another hashtag, which is War Comics Month. All one word with a hashtag, War Comics Month. Use that all throughout November to discuss your favorite war comics 
Mike's new and old that you're talking about uh, out there on the Twitters and the Facebooks. Please, please do that. Now, before we get rolling, we do need to take a moment to thank our sponsors, and we are extremely fortunate this month. We actually have three different sponsors. <laughs> this is super exciting. The money so, is get- rolling in. This this might take the whole podcast right here. So, <laughs> folks, as always, this episode of the Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What'd you bring this time, buddy? I got the EC Archives Frontline Combat Volume 1, which is uh, reprints the, some of the classic uh, EC Comics war series, uh, sort of uh, godfathered by Harvey Kurtzman. It also features work by Wally Wood, Jack Davis, John Severin, who appears in this digest, and Will Elder. Uh, it's a hardcover collection. It is, I mean, if you've never read never read these EC War comics, they are absolutely amazing. This is published by Gemstone. It's a big, glossy hardcover, 212 pages. Normal price is $49.95. In stock trades price is $34.97. That is 30% off. Uh, again, you wouldn't necessarily think that Harvey Kurtzman's funny style would work for war comics, but boy, howdy, do they. And so this book clicks, yeah. this book clicks the first six issues of Frontline Combat. It's an amazing, amazing book, so check it out. I've never seen those before, so that's interesting. I probably gorgeous, should. Gorgeous stuff. Mine's a little more traditional superhero fare, but it, it's related. Uh, I picked Batman Brave and the Bold Bronze Age Omnibus Trade Paperback Volume 1. So this is one of these big 456-page omnibuses in color. But the reason I picked it is, you know, it's Batman teaming up with people. But in this digest, you've got Bob Haney writing it. And in one of the stories, at least, Batman teams up with Sergeant Rock. And as in the digest we're going to cover today, we've got some Bob Haney stuff in uh, some Sergeant Rock. So it just seemed like a nice sort of meshing. And also, you, of course, you get your Spectres and your Plastic Mans and your Aquamans and Creepers and all those folks. Covers Brave and the Bold number 74 through 91, a great collection of stuff so you got a ton of uh you know bob haney you've got ross andrew and uh it's super super fun full color normally retails for 34.99 now remember 456 pages so it's big but you can get it for 42 percent off right now so it's only 20 dollars 29 so please head over to instocktrades.com for those awesome selections and, of course, we also have to talk about that we have a Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Uh, this episode is sponsored in part with your Patreon support. Running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting, other services, paying off Shag's gambling debts. So for the hey, past three years – talk about that on the air. For the past three years, us hosts have absorbed these costs, but the costs have grown considerably, so we've launched the Patreon. If you're enjoying Digest Cast, the best way to support the show, again, is by visiting patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Podcast and consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. At a certain sponsorship tier, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows, just like these folks. So, our big thanks to David S. Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. Thanks, guys. So, again, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Awesome. And finally, uh, a huge, huge shout out to our sponsor for November, which is The Only Living Girl by David Gallagher and Steve Ellis. This is very exciting. Uh, They're sponsoring us the entire month long. If you haven't heard of this wonderful all-age graphic novel, The Only Living Girl, you've got to check it out. In fact, listen to this. From David Gallagher and Steve Ellis, the award-winning team that brought you The Only Living Boy, comes this thrilling new action-adventure series, The Only Living Girl. Hi, my name is Andra. People call me Z. I was a normal girl. I loved science, my bear, and my dad. One day, tragedy struck. But that wasn't the end of my story. 
I awoke in a patchwork world filled with mermaid warriors, insect princesses, robots. A world created by my dad, who had become a mad scientist. Now I'm stuck in a world that doesn't trust me, in a conflict with my father's creations. Luckily, I still have my friend Eric and my bear. I am the only living girl. The Only Living Girl, Volume 1, The Island at the Edge of Infinity, is available now in both hardcover and paperback from Paper Cuts. And remember, folks, please go out and support these sponsors. We sincerely appreciate their support of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Now, let's get into this, folks. It was my pick this time, so I picked DC Special Series number 18. Not that you can tell that by the cover, uh, <laughs> because it looks like it's called Sergeant Rock's Prize Battle Tales. Uh, the cover says Fall 1979. It was on sale July 5th, 1979, with a cover price of 95 cents, Rob. 95 cents for 100 pages. Can you believe that outrageously expensive price? Crazy. And uh, editor is Paul Levitz. Do you want to describe the cover, the front cover and the back cover? Well, first of all, I do want to mention that uh, if you look at the cover uh, on the upper left corner, it does not say DC Special Series. It says DC Blue Ribbon Digest, which is not the name of this book. Um, As I have mentioned on other podcasts, DC Special Series was the first class mailing permit that thought it was a comic book title. Uh, This this was (laughs) – this was DC slapped that on the indicia of whatever they needed. So DC special series, sometimes it was an 80 page giant. Sometimes it was uh, like a, a, a no, uh, a no ads, uh, you know, giant of like, uh, you know, like a, like a collection of a particular set of stories. Sometimes it was a treasury. Sometimes it was a digest. It just, whatever DC needed DC special series to be, that's what it was called. And I think that's because mailing permits were expensive back then. And it was just easier to just keep a title and then, just use it for whatever it was. So yeah, this is like if you were a DC Special Series collector, good luck finding a way to put it all together on like a bookshelf because all the comics are different sizes. So probably driving you nuts. That Um, is so funny. But anyway, the cover uh, is of course by Joe Kubert um, and it's a I like the cover. I don't love it. It's it's more of an establishing shot. We see this tank looming in the foreground as Easy Company uh, – well, actually in the background as Easy Company in the foreground are uh, firing against it. The thing I do love about it is the coloring. Uh, it mm-hmm. has been – it looks like it's been colored by maybe watercolor or colored – pencil maybe uh it's got these kind of like wash tones and they see the sky is on fire which is a really really nice effect and it says sergeant rock spies battle tales 10 powerful war dramas starring rock and easy co unknown soldier enemy ace and more so it's a really very very beautiful uh cover and then on the back cover uh is a shot of easy company trudging in the snow with this great snow effect uh, as they're you know they're, they're they're none of them have like uh, winter coats on so i was like god lord it's freezing and so uh they're the snow blends into the background of the at the bottom of the cover and then we get all the text talking about all the various artists in uh this book and this is a really murderer's row of talent you've got joe Kubert, alex toth russ haith russ heath bob Kaniger, john severed bob haney mort drucker ross andrew mice esposito slam glansman jack abel i mean that's whew, that's a great collection of people. 
So good. You know, if looking at both the front cover and the back cover, I think I actually like the back cover better. Um, I'm not saying it's a more dynamic image, but every, you mentioned all the soldiers walking in the snow, but they all look so exhausted yeah, it's and so very downtrodden. Moody. It's Yeah, there's a real sense of the weariness of battle yep. in this one. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I like that image better. The front cover, the, like you said, the, the painterly effect is gorgeous, but it's... It, it, the 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 design the layout is just uh, is kind of lacking something I think so yeah mm. the, the tank is the central image and to me that's just not inherently not that interesting looking so it's it's yeah. it's more like an establishing shot which doesn't necessarily make it uh, great for a cover but again it really sells it by the uh, the coloring which is really very nice. Yeah, and you know what? If the UPC box wasn't there, you might that image on the far left of the guy sort of cowering in terror might yeah, actually stand big, out a little more and yeah, give you more of the horror of the cover. But it's big kind chunk of, of real estate, yeah, is lost to the UPC code. Well, when it's that small, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so we get our table of contents, but then getting into the issue, first story: Sergeant Rock, and the story itself is called Target Sergeant Rock. A little repetitive, but okay. Uh, Eighteen pages. Robert Kaniger is the writer. Joe Kubert is the artist, of course, and it's reprinted from Our Army at War, number one twenty-four from nineteen sixty-two. Now we just did really brief synopsis of these stories here, so let's just rocket rocket through this. Sergeant Rock leads Easy Company against a panzer division led by Major Otto von Strupp. As Rock leads Easy out of several traps, von Strupp earns respect for the American sergeant. When Rock is injured during a battle inside a small village, uh, Easy Company retreats, leaving him behind. Von Strupp captures him and brainwashes Rock to fight on the side of the Germans crazy. Rock then leads the Panzer Division against Easy Company. Uh, Easy hesitates when they see that Rock is leading the charge, but Bulldozer begins firing on the enemy. He hits Rock with a glancing shot off the helmet, which restores Rock to his right mind. He then turns on the Nazis, capturing Von Strupp and the rest of the division. Oof. So what do you think of this one, buddy? I like this story very much. I mean, obviously, uh, Bob, uh, Robert Kaniger, uh, you know, I mean, he wrote Sergeant Rock for like 30 years. And mm-hmm. you, you, you're at a certain point, you really are just kind of spinning the dial, seeing what kind of variations you can come up with. And I like the idea of telling this story as kind of a he said, he said sort of yes. thing as it toggles back and forth between, okay, you know, the first panel is, is Rock narrating it. And then the second panel is the Otto von Stupp uh, narrating it back and <laughs> forth. And it really, for the most part, it doesn't always just go panel to panel, panel to panel. But for the most part, it, it balances it back and forth. And that's a really fun way of telling the story. And of course, the, the artwork by Joe Kubert is top notch. I mean, oh, yeah. whether it's on page five where you have one scene as the, the Joes are marching across through this water and the, the bombs are going off or you have... Can, can, before you move on, can I talk about the That's where some, sure, some of my yeah. notes are on that yeah. page. That bottom of that page is just so brutal. I mean, it's, I specifically called out in my notes. It, it's three vertical panels. And it's the scene of them crossing this bridge. There's just a handful of troops crossing the bridge and then a bunch of troops crossing in the water underneath. And there's just the explosions and the bright yellow with the with the sound effect. I mean, it's just extremely effective. And, and I don't know. I, can, I feel the horror of war in these three panels. I've got goosebumps right now looking at these things. And uh, it's just so powerful. I, I had to spend a moment talking about it. It's very chaotic, which is, of course, what yes. you're trying to put across. So, yeah. I mean, and everything here is – it's very crowded. 
there's not a whole lot of establishing shots. Actually, ironically, considering the cover was an establishing shot, but there's here everything's there's a lot of close ups, and I think that's part of the idea is that it's you know you're fighting in this war and just there's no room. Everything's loud and noisy, and and so uh, yeah, I think it gets that across. And I really love on page thirteen the silhouette panel. And you know, as a as an artist, I appreciate a good silhouette because it's easy to draw. Uh, but it looks really cool where where rock falls off the wall and you just see him hit oh, the yeah. ground thud or whatever. So <clears throat> yeah, and then then you uh, on page fifteen, and again this is the digest we're talking about. It's actually page thirteen of the story, the full page shot of rock. Uh, where all the panels are pointing at him and, and all the Nazis are kind of like he's saying all these different things. We're waiting, Sarge, on your feet, Sarge, on your feet. And all these it's the brainwashing. Yeah, page, all yeah. the Nazis are talking to him like that's a great sequence. So I mean, you know, I mean, what a bullet and Joe Kubert does a great job on this. Of course he did. But I mean this is <laughs> it's it's really fantastic. Well, I loved uh, – you mentioned – I didn't want to interrupt you earlier. Oh, well, okay. That's not true. I did want to interrupt you, but I didn't. Uh, when you talked about the different narrators, yeah, it starts off with actually four different narrators and telling you that they're going to narrate the story. So it's just really and really neat the way that they do that. And then um, there's, a, there's a reoccurring theme throughout the whole thing where Rock keeps talking about how sometimes you have to spend people – um, to save the company, you know, the, the, it's the whole uh, the good of the many outweigh the good of the one kind of thing. It's a reoccurring theme, which in the end is all leading to the the thing where Bulldozer has to shoot Rock, knowing that for the good of the company, I have to kill Rock. And so it's it's really well built. And as a kid, I would think that story would really resonate. It's like, oh wow, because I mean, they built to it well. It was all de- developed nicely. Um, and then just one more sort of horror of war thing that really sticking with me. There is a uh, German. Uh, uh, well, they call it a sunken pillbox, which is basically they've, they've got a, like sort of an underground metal fort and with a little tiny slit where they're going to uh, hide hiding under all this rubble. So when the soldiers, Americans and GIs come up, they're going to stick their guns out through the slit and just prrr, mow them all down, you know, uh, sort of from a, a ambush kind of situation. Well, there's a scene where Rock uh, distracts them. He gets up there and he shoves his machine gun through the slit and just unloads. He calls it insect spray. Uh, and it's just – it is so bloodthirsty. I mean I'm not saying it was wrong. I mean it's war. Uh, but it really gets across sort of the horror and what you've got to do in war and the death. And it just – and I and all I can in my mind is you know imagine the bullets just ricocheting around inside this steel, steel pillbox. Like, and it's like, oh, God. Ugh. So um, very effective. Very, very effective. Uh, I do two things I'll mention. Uh, I, my final things I love on page 18 where we see Rock as he's wearing the Nazi helmet and he gets uh, – Bulldozer hits hits his helmet with the gun and there's this spang sound effect. And it's like yeah. that's got to be so loud. Like that has to be deafening of a bullet hitting your metal helmet as you're, as you're wearing it. And then on the final page where you literally have Rock – and the uh, other and the combat happy Joes plus bulldozer. And you see bulldozer literally picking up a Nazi and throwing him, which I would <laughs> yes. recommend to anybody. If you meet a Nazi on the street, just pick him up and throw him. Just, just do it. I think it's probably a lot of fun. So I mean, I don't know if you can do it because most people are not bulldozer size, but it looks right. like a lot of fun to just haul a Nazi somewhere, just throw him. It's great. <laughs> well, it was a great story. It was a great yeah. way to lead this off. Good so, stuff. All right, let's move on to the next. We've got ten of these things. So yeah, the next one. This is a lot of stories here. It's only six pages. Uh, it's called the big. I, I can't. I don't know why I have the giggles. The big marker is what it's called. Me, I have the giggles because it's written by Bob Haney, probably. Uh, so Bob Haney writes it. Russ Heath is the artist. So you know it's beautiful. Reprinted from Our Army at War, number seventy-six from nineteen fifty-eight. So our story follows a new recruit to the Scandinavian mountains 
and a snow ski patrol that are called the Santa Claus Patrol. These soldiers are responsible for skiing the mountain and placing trail markers anywhere they find an enemy position. Our hero manages to take out three different groups of Nazis, but each time the treacherous mountain conditions prevent him from leaving a marker. Sadly, he can't prove his victories to his fellow soldiers without the markers, but he's still committed to protecting the mountain from the enemy. So uh, this one's a little different. There's there's a weird thing in here, and I don't know if you noticed it because it re- reappears later. There's like a, a second-person narration sort of thing. Um, it, like it, the, the panel, it says, you know, as you start to scout for Santa Claus Patrol, and then it goes into the story and you're following this guy around, but all the narration box are talking about as if you're that guy. It, it, had, do you find that weird or you just rolled with it? Or I just kind of rolled with it. I mean this is such a short story that I just kind of was yeah. like, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of went with it, yeah. <laughs> I had to read it twice to sort of get it all. Maybe I just read it too quickly the first time. It's like, okay, skiing the mountain, shooting Nazis. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then once I realized, oh, uh, the mountain conditions are actually preventing him from doing his job, which is to take out the Nazis and then leave this marker to show where the dead Nazis are, I guess. Um, so it's that, – that's – so that, it took me a minute to figure that out. And also nowhere in this story does it say they're in the Scandinavian mountains. I had to find that out from the back cover. Yeah, I, I read this through, and I was like, where are they? And I was like, nope, it just doesn't tell me. Okay. Exactly. You know? Like, where are these mountains that are just full of nests of Nazis? <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. It, so. it, it occurs to me that this is the kind of thing that um, a writer would only know, I think, if you either did a ton of research or you yourself had served. Because I would just, you know, uh, have, having a, a war story with guys in foxholes, you and I could write that. Maybe not well, but we could write it because you, you're familiar with guys in foxholes but i mean who are i would never have thought of this you know right. i mean that this was a thing and bob haney did serve he was in the navy and actually saw uh, action at the battle of okinawa so this yeah. is you know bob haney, bob haney knew from war and so this this seems like the kind of story that someone with military experience would write because how else would you even know this was a thing well, I would also say someone who has some experience with snow skiing, because there's some terms in here that I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about, but clearly are snow skiing phrases. Could so. be that, yeah. Yep. All right, let's keep going. All right, the next story is Broomstick Pilot. Uh, it is written by France, a.k.a. Eddie Heron, uh, and drawn by John Severin, the great John Severin, mm-hmm. reprinted from Our Army at War number 69 from 1958. A former stunt pilot is admonished for flying his winged fort the same way at war he did at home until his superiors see that his method as a broomstick pilot sometimes, in fact, gets the job done. Uh, so this is – the main reason I wanted to do this one is because it was drawn by John Severin. I mean I grew up on John Severin stuff from Cracked Magazine actually. And so seeing him draw like straight-up war comics is really fun. Uh, the plain stuff doesn't do a whole much – whole a lot for me. I'm actually a little surprised this one wasn't done by – Alex Toth, because it's so plane heavy. But uh, I was going to compliment the planes. That's actually my favorite part of the thing. Is are the planes? It is really cool, though. I mean, and and um, John Severin has this kind of neat little stipple effect on the planes on the opening splash page. There's a mm-hmm. giant shot of this plane, and the whole gist is that this guy, the pilot, is was like a stunt pilot, and he flew biplanes. And you see that he was used to like flying way low to the ground, which is why they call him a broomstick pilot, because he's like literally dusting the ground with his with the wings of his plane. 
plane. And his commanders are saying, you can't fly like that when you're having guys shoot at him, shoot at you. But he won't give that up. And we see that he actually uses that skill to drop bombs in a way that gets gets in real close. And at the end, his <laughs> there's kind of this fun panel at the end where the skipper's like, oh, you old so-and-so. He's like, I'll let it go this time, but throw away that broomstick unless you can't help it. <laughs> it's almost like right. it's another fun day at the war. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, the for this one, for me, the art was really great. Uh, again, I love the planes. The story didn't grab me as much as the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... It's, it's still nice to read, but it's yeah, a cute, it's, it's a cute story. It's a cute. Story. Yeah, that's it's kind of yeah, that's kind of how I feel. But the Severn art was gorgeous. No John, doubt about that. John Severn did some of the best smiling people in the business. They have like this real toothy grin, oh, yeah. and like they almost like he doesn't draw like the indentations of their of the separations of their teeth. So like their teeth are just this white thing in their mouth, like they're like our boxer, and they have that like mouth guard put in front of them. <laughs> like they just have that look to them. So yeah, I just really enjoyed looking at it because it's just I just love John Severn so so. So much and and France slash Eddie Heron wrote a ton of stuff for DC, but almost all genre stuff. He wrote war, he wrote adventure, he did a lot of tomahawk, he wrote westerns, and then the one kind of con- superhero he did was Green Arrow. Oddly yeah. enough, I don't know why, but he wrote a lot of Green Arrow when he was in adventure comics along with Aquaman. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, the uh, second person narration returns in this one as well. Yeah, these things uh, are narrated big time, these stories. Yeah. yeah. But again, it's all you, 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 mm-hmm. as if you're the person in the story. Maybe it's just to make the kids feel you know, involved. I'm not sure. Maybe so. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the next one, which is uh, – <laughs> this is a doozy. Who, yeah. who is Haunting the Haunted Chateau by Sheldon Mayer and Alex Toth, reprinted from Weird War Tales number 10 of 1973. In 1954, two ex-pilots accidentally reunite at a play on Broadway, having not seen each other since the captain saved the life of his sergeant, be forcing him to bail out over a legendarily haunted chapeau. Uh, or chateau, excuse me, chapeau's a hat. There the sergeant there, the sergeant fell in love with a long dead woman. How is this even possible unless he is a ghost too? Now, <gasps> I wrote a very short synopsis. This story is basically um, I would say 50 pages of story in a 10 page bag. I mean, this thing, this thing takes so many turns that I, I had to read this, I think four times to, to grab it all. I was like, wait, 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 a minute. What? huh? What? Uh, I mean, you, there's a ghost, but he's not a ghost. But he's then not there's a... another ghost, but it is a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's in, and it actually, then they're, then they're on a bicycle and it, and it features an ending, which clearly was stolen uh, for the sixth sense. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's actually my favorite thing. In the whole story is M. Night the Twilight Shyamalan, Zone ending. Hack. I'm sorry, I, I stepped on you. What did you say? I said M Night Shyamalan, you hack. <laughs> uh, the art's gorgeous. Oh, I mean, the art is yes. absolutely beautiful. Yes. The, the story is kooky. I mean, Sheldon Mayer has written a lot of wonderful, fun stories, and I, and I don't know. Maybe this one's a little too whimsical for me. I'm not sure because it doesn't doesn't work as well. The art again, gorgeous. I love. I really, really, actually love the twist ending. But yeah, the crazy, you know, Benny Hill style antics with the bicycles, with the ghost riding him and stuff. Like, what is happening right now? Because yeah, it's like there's a goat. There's a there's a there's a there's this chateau that everyone says is haunted, and then you find out that it's not really haunted, and then we find out no that it is really haunted. 
Uh, and then we find out that the person telling the story uh, is a ghost uh, himself. And the guy who he's having dinner with, which is the, the captain that forced the guy out of the plane, has been having dinner with nobody. Because at the end, he's sitting there having drinks. And the waiter's like, what are you talking about? You haven't been drinking with anybody. And then then another twist on top of that, we see the, the, the ghostly glasses clinking. So they really are ghosts. I mean, this right. is nuts. I, mean, I just This is 10 pages, but it has, I'm not lying, 50 pages of story. How much is jammed in here? But it, because it's drawn by Alex Toth, it has such amazing visual life. I don't really even understand why they even have the angle of them meeting in New York again. Like, you don't even really need to have that part of it, I guess. But I just thought it was fun. Um, by the way, they go to see South Pacific, the show. Because we, you see that in the logo. So, But, I mean, of course, everyone knows how much of a fan I am of Alex Toth. I'm sure it's out, Shag is too. Yes. So, I mean, it's just so beautifully done. And I love his word, his lettering. He's one of the best letterers in the business because he just has such great life to it so it's it's the story is is too twisty for its own uh own good but i don't care because it's when you look it, it's so pretty to look at it doesn't matter yeah it's absolutely beautiful all right let's get on to the next one because the next one's whoa it's a good one <laughs> oh wait no hold on i was reading ahead i'm sorry uh the next one's okay <laughs> <laughs> I thought the next one was the enemy A story. I was really excited about it. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. In before the enemy A story, we've got Jackpot Target, which is six pages, written by Bob Haney, uh, art by Jack Abel, reprinted from Our Fighting Forces number 40 from 1958. Uh, it starts off with PT Boat 105 rests at the bottom of a tropical lagoon. But how did it get there? We go back in time 24 hours earlier where the boat and her crew were chasing down an enemy cruiser, relying on the captain's good luck charm, which is a pair of shoes from his infant son. This enemy cruiser gave PT Boat 105 the slip twice now, but in the third confrontation was a different matter. The enemy cruiser pounded our hero's boat, doing enough damage to sink the ship. However, in one last Herculean effort, the skipper fires two torpedoes at the enemy cruiser. So while PT Boat 105 rests at the bottom of the lagoon, so does the enemy cruiser. So, uh, this one's sort of fun. It's a it's a um, a little bonkers with the whole the shoes are so important, you know, as the good luck charm. Yet it doesn't really pay off at the end, but that's okay. Um, I enjoy it. The art looks great, and I love the the ending though with the with the ships that are sunk on the bottom of the lagoon together. I, I really like that sort of like oh sort of victory moment. I did like that. I found that the baby shoes dangling into the frame and every other panel just looked goofy. Like, yeah. It just looked silly. Uh, I mean, I know their baby shoes are supposed to be tiny, but they just, I don't know. It just looked like there's like a little invisible guy who's kicking him in the face or something. I just, I know that Jack Abel just wasn't <laughs> quite able to make it look right to me. I don't know. There's the one panel, it's on page 46, where he's like, what's the course, Skipper? Dead ahead! And the, the baby shoes are like flying in the air, and it really yeah. just looks like there's an invisible tiny person kicking him in the face. It does, because even his cheek's a little puffed yeah, up there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It just looks a little silly. Well, and again, I just think that, you know, it's it was an un- – I think they were trying to give some life and character to the characters, and it just – it didn't pay off all that well. And that's okay. Yeah. So Thank let's you. get to that again. Now let's get to the next story because this one's really good. Right. Well, I do want to mention there is some some bonus material. There's a page called War Bluff, which is kind of like a true war facts thing. And then there's another thing called Battle Album Tanks, which is a sort of a uh, info to uh, – double-page spread about different kinds of tanks, 1915 tanks, the Little Willie 
uh, with, let's not get into that, 1930 and then 1945 and 1964, there's a thing called the captain. So there's this information. And I've always had, I've always suspected that some of these digests are repurposed treasury material because mm. some of the bonus material feels kind of treasury ish. And this one feels like that to me. Like this, the double page spread of the battle album tanks is nice, but it's, it's a little hard to read. Yeah, it's very uh, compressed. It's very compressed. And I wonder if this wasn't originally meant for a treasury. Uh, and there's a there's another uh, War Comics uh, digest where there's literally a thing where you're supposed to cut out the page and make like a little like little diorama, but you yep. you can't cut out something from a digest because the paper's too thin. And I'm like, oh, this was oh, clearly meant yeah. as a treasury okay. that they just reprinted it in the in the digest. They didn't really think about it. Well, there's a lot more than that, too. We'll just run through the extra content real quick. Yeah. So you've already mentioned several of it. There's also the war words, which is definitions of words like pontoon and barrage for the kids at home. There's this thing about mine hunters, which is showing you tanks um, seeking out undetonated landmines. Um, did you mention the war bluff? I think you did already. Yeah, didn't you mentioned you? war bluff, yeah. Okay, yep. Uh, then there's there's a little humor strip called General Little, yeah. which is cute. <laughs> then there there's a big, long text piece by Mike W. Barr explaining that DC war comics are about war but not pro-war. And they talk about most of the warriors in the stories hate war. And they give some examples of like Sergeant Rock hates the war because he knows there's no glory. And he's been watching too many of his men die over the years. Talk about how enemy Ace hates war because it's dehumanizing. He feels like he's just become a killing machine. And how the unknown soldier joined to help end the war. And the whole point of what he did is if, if he could shorten the war by one day, even just one day, he would spare uh, some of the other folks the horror of war. And so uh, that's, that was, it was an interesting piece by Mike W. Barr. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I like yep. I like all those text pieces. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned Enemy A, so that's the next story. Woo-hoo. It's uh, Three Graves to Home, uh, written and drawn by Joe Kubert. That's a little unusual. He didn't write all that much at this point in his career, but here, here he wrote the stories while I was drawing it. It's from Star Spangled War Stories number 150 from 1970. Uh, after being shot down, the Enemy Ace takes refuge in enemy territory thanks to the generosity of some locals. One by one, he learns that he is responsible, personally responsible, for the death of a family member of each person. Now, I mean, of course, that's a very – that's like one-sentence synopsis of this story. But, I mean, this is uh, you know, literally the horrors of war thing where you know, these people, they, they, visit, uh, they visit kindness upon enemy ace and not realizing that he is the guy that is responsible for, for – these people, these people having lost family members, and you know, of course, as enemy ace regards them as as the enemy, these people are uh, their husbands, their sons, their brothers, that kind of thing. And so, it really is the, the you know the hearts of war kind of thing. And of course, and then brought to life uh, wonderfully by Joe Kubert. I mean, as much as Joe Kubert loves Sergeant Rock, and we know that he did, I almost think it, I, I can almost see it in his work that I think Enemy Ace was his favorite. And it oh, feels it's like so it. gorgeous, man. It is so beautiful. I just looked it up. Looks like he wrote, um, I don't know, about ten issues of Star Spangled War Stories. Um, so he wrote a handful of them, right? But um, and all around this time period, yeah, I've got the Enemy Ace Showcase Edition. So it's all black and white, uh, and it is just stunning through and through. And this story is excellent. I mean, the only thing that's that you got to do a little suspension of disbelief is the fact that he keeps running into uh, people that he's responsible for the death of their loved ones. Well, I mean, he's that's killed a, a lot of people. <laughs> that's true. Um, but if you go to the splash page where you know it says, you know, uh, Han 
Hans von Hammer, Enemy Ace, Three Graves to Home. It's these across the two pages. It's these wonderful uh, four vertical panels, basically two in one page, two in the other, and a cutout of his face in between the panels in each case. And it's of these planes flying around and shooting each other down and stuff. And it's just so amazing. I mean, obviously Joe Kubert. I don't need to say that his art is gorgeous, but it just, like you said, I, I think there's a certain extra love that goes into Enemy Ace, without a doubt. There's this amazing shot on page 64 of the Digest. Where I know, says, what, I yeah, know through, exactly what you're doing. Through the freezing night, you remain awake. You, again, once the uh, second-person uh, narration. You remain and feed the flickering fire, absorbing that little heat, that small flame affords. And it's this uh, symbolic shot of, of the enemy ace, and he's, like, warming his hands over the fire. But in the fire are all these f- f- uh, planes flying in and out. And it's, he's lit from underneath. It's a really gorgeous-looking piece. That's the other page. It was in my notes. Yeah, yeah so powerful, so good. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I feel every time we do one of these things, and I read an NBA story, I just, I really want to bust out that showcase and just read it again from cover to cover. It's so good. Yeah, it's really, really. And it even says, "Will it ever be the end?" And he's just ready to go off and to fight another. You know, I, he says, "I once again, I have been spared to challenge the killer skies." Uh, by the way, I have no, I don't know this. I can't have any verification of this, but I suspect the title. Three Graves to Home. Uh, it reminds me a lot of a 1943 war film from Billy Wilder called Five Graves to Cairo. Uh, yeah. Just the, you know, Graves 2 seems a lot. And that was a relatively, yeah, it's, it's one of his lesser known films, but it's, it had some stars in it. Uh, and I, I have to think it's the kind of thing that Joe Cooper probably saw. So I have to wonder if that's where he got the, the title. Is Five Graves to Home, five, five Graves to Cairo, Three Graves to Home. Very similar. Would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good film, by the way. Uh, if anyone ever seen it, it's a, it's a good little war film. So yeah, it's a, the, I would argue that probably. I mean, we'll have we're not done talking about the stories, but I would say this enemy ace is probably the winner of the book. Oh, see, I had notes on this. Okay. Uh, I, right. I love this story, but I actually put it second. Okay, all right. Yep. All right. That ghost story was too much fun. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up is Patrol to Nowhere from uh, Arm, Arm, Our Army Award number 79 from 1959 by Bob Haney, yet again, and Mort <laughs> Drucker, the great Mort Drucker. Uh, in the blistering heat of the desert, a soldier wonders if the images of Nazis attacking him he sees are real or simply mirages. Um, this one I didn't quite work for me simply because it's first of all when I looked at the notes and I saw that it was drawn by Mort Drucker, I imagined the Mort Drucker of kind of Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which Max Romero and I waxed his car big time over on Mountain Comics when we did the Mad Magazine number two forty two. Mm-hmm. But his work doesn't kind of look like that here. Uh, it's, it's kind of a little, obviously this is earlier in his career, so it's not as recognizable. And the story just of where this guy is, is in the middle of this desert and they don't mention the desert as far as I could say, I read the story and it doesn't, it just says the desert. It doesn't necessarily tell you where, um, Mm. but the idea that he's seeing what he thinks are mirages and then they're not mirages because at like one point he literally sees like a, a car floating in the sky, and he, of course, that's a mirage, and they realize no, it's it's a trick of the eye. I just don't know if the conceit completely worked. Maybe it needed to be longer or shorter or something, but it's. I, I think it was. It was like it was fine. It didn't, I didn't. I think it was great. I, I have a story here, actually, that fits with our network. Um, this story, it, it, not that the story resonated with me, but the mirage part. I am a changed man after this summer, sir. I have seen <laughs> mirages myself now, and they screw with your head so much. I was in uh, Canada with my wife on a boat with 
our good friends, Siskoid, Boss, and Shotgun, uh, all of us together hanging out. And we were on a boat going out whale watching. And in the distance, now it wasn't a desert, it was the ocean or, or the bay or whatever it was, um, there was a mirage. And it was freaking me out. <laughs> and you look over the horizon and you see crap in the air. And we're like, is that a UFO? What, what is that? <laughs> and we spent a lot of time discussing it until the captain just came on and said, oh, and that's just a reflection of the island over there. And what it was was the thing on the ground or at the at sea level was reflecting off the moisture in the air or whatever in the air. And so we were seeing it in the sky. So the car in the sky, I totally get that. It's reflected <laughs> up in the air. So, uh, again, while it's not a story that I felt really connected to, I totally get where they're coming from with those crazy mirages. Oh, totally. I mean, that's a thing. I mean, that's you heard about stories of like the Foreign Legion where, you know, they would see or mirage. And one of uh, – I've talked about in other episodes, other podcasts, like how much I love Abin Costello. And they did a, a movie where they where they were joined the Foreign Legion and there was all kinds of mirage jokes. So I get the conceit of it. I just don't know if it totally hung together as a – as a story, but it was fine. You know, it was yeah. just fine. Well, once you see a mirage in real life, you just feel different. It's no longer like the movies. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, next up is a Deliver, One Tank. This is only four pages, back when they used to do comic stories in four pages. Uh, once again, by Bob Haney, uh, drawn by Russ Heath from Our Army War Number 63 from 1957. A tank driver is tasked with delivering a new tank across enemy territory to a combat unit. And, I mean, th- it, this is as close as you could get to a gag strip yeah. in a yeah. war comic setting. Because the whole gist of it is that he is taking this tank across uh, dangerous – I mean, the, they talk about that, like, we, you know, we're, we're sort of like um, – we're the, the uh, we're, we always complete our deliveries. You know, like the, this group wants a new tank. We always deliver what we say we're going to miss. So we have to take this tank across enemy lines and risk getting killed to deliver this tank. And what are you going to do? Have to deliver this tank. And the joke of it is at the end, he's gotten in so many battles. He's gotten in a battle with a plane. He's gotten in a battle with another tank that he delivers the tank, but it's just a big pile of wreckage at that point. And the sergeant picks it up and he's like, I'm not signing for this. We ordered a tank, not a hunk of scrap metal treads. Uh, now go back and do, go back to that replacement depot of yours and come back with a real tank, one that can fight. And it's almost like, wah, wah, wah. I mean, it's, you know, if you forget that we're in a war setting, it's, it's that kind of thing. But it works because it's four pages. It, you just don't get tired of it. It's interesting. Page two of the story, or page seventy-six of the digest, actually has one of my favorite intense scenes in the entire book. In this sort of gag strip, it's these three panels, and they're slowly moving in on this guy's eye, mm-hmm. and he's keep saying, going, keep, keep, going, going, "Keep going, keep going, keep going." And the the word the the words themselves, the lettering is very jagged, and it keeps getting bigger, and it's just this weird sort of red circle around traced inside the word balloon, which mm-hmm. adds a level of intensity that I actually really like that part. Yeah, it's it's fun. Like I said, it, it it's a nice little like palate cleanser. I'm sure in the middle of like a bunch of our uh, Sergeant Rock stories, it was like oh, this yeah. little four little four page goofy thing. So, all right, uh, next one is Frogman Fury, <laughs> uh, six pages, written by Hank P. Chapman, uh, penciled by Ross Andrew, and inked by Mike Esposito, reprinted from Our War- Our Army at War number one hundred two from nineteen sixty one. Bannigan is a Navy frogman, and he has been training for six weeks to take down a Japanese submarine. While he's on his mission to take out the enemy sub, he discovers it's gone. And in a cruel twist of fate, when Bannigan resurfaces, he finds his own ship is under attack now. Later, the frogman faces down the enemy sub, sinking it by returning its own torpedo back at them. 
So this one, um, this one is the one I have the hardest time swallowing because he catches a torpedo with a steel lasso and sends it right back at the seven, blows it up. <laughs> Very Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's uh, I, I love the I love the idea of scuba guys out there kicking ass, which is great. I love him on the on the deck with his big gun, like shooting down the plane. But the ending where he again he spins the torpedo was just a bridge too far for me. I can't. I, this is so obscure, but what the hell? I can't ever hear or see the phrase frogman and okay. not think of the great movie, one of the greatest movies ever made, Stalag 17, which opens with this narration where this guy is kind of sore because he says, uh, you know, you know, you, you see all those war films and they're always about fighting leather nets or frogmen. He says they never do movies about POWs. And I just the, – the contempt that he puts frogmen in. I just love it. It's just, he's, always <laughs> just like, so, he's so angry that you know people that are trapped in POW camps don't get their own movie, but frogmen do. I just, I just love it. <laughs> they had Hogan's Heroes. I, uh, well, that I was before think... though. That, was, that movie know. was before. I always think of uh, what the the Marvel character Frogman, um, the one who was in the Marvel team up stories. Yeah, Frogman, that's, that's what, yeah. Just regular Frogman. Yep. All right, now folks, here we go. Here's here's what's worth the price of admission, right here, in my opinion, folks. It's the Unknown Soldier Appointment in Prague, thirteen pages, written by Archie Goodwin, art by Jack Sparling, reprinted from Star Spangled War Stories number one seventy one from nineteen seventy three. Now, half the story is dedicated to a glimpse into the unknown soldier's past. We see the death of his brother and the incident that left him so scarred. Then we follow the unknown soldier as he's taught mastery over makeup and impersonation by an aged Czechoslovakian actor named Anton Vladček. Now, fast forward, and the unknown soldier is given a mission he'd rather not complete. He is to find Anton Vladček, his former mentor, and kill him. Anton has snuck into Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia and is uh, there to rescue his grandson that he thought it was dead. But the Allies can't afford for Anton to be captured and tortured for information. So the unknown soldier goes in there. He Luckily, he rescues his former mentor, and they stumble across Anton's grandson. Unfortunately, the boy is now committed to the Nazi cause and betrays them both. And then in the end, the grandson accidentally blows himself up. And Anton has been gravely wounded and ends, and ends his own life, and the unknown soldier escapes to fight another day. Man, this story has got a ton packed into it. Uh, now, it's 13 pages, so I had a little more room to breathe, but I just thought this thing was great from cover to cover. I love the exploration of his past. I, I don't know if this is the first time they've ever told us the unknown soldier's origin. I, I always thought it was supposed to be a mystery. So I was surprised to read that. Uh, and then him training. I found the training montage of sorts where he's learning how to impersonate people. I found that very compelling. And then going in there uh, in the mission, he has to kill his mentor. Oh, I just ate this whole thing up. What did you think of it? I liked it. Uh, I do like the whole that Unknown Soldier was more kind of like a James Bond kind of thing. Uh, I mean, at least sometimes his stories were more like he was like a secret agent. I mean, even the name Appointment in Prague sounds like, mm-hmm. a, you know, like an episode of Man from Uncle or something. I can never decide if I like Jack Sparling's work or not. Hmm. Uh, okay. I, sometimes I like it. There's some pages here that I think are really cool. It's kind of cartoony. And I don't know. Bit. I don't know how whether that works or not. And it all depends on kind of his inker. I think he inks himself. Um, the scene where the little kid reveals that he's like a basically a Nazi. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it's. I don't know. Like I don't think it totally works because it's cartoony looking. And I'm like, ah, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. It's it's harrowing to see this little kid. You know, say, get away from me, you will learn. I am joining my fellow Nazis. They are real men, warriors, not foolish weaklings like you. You know, it's like, ooh, that's upsetting. But then the figures in that panel are all squat. 
and they're real cartoony, hmm. and I just feel like it maybe loses some of the drama of it. I see what you're talking about. Okay, but, I, yeah. but, I, but I do like the story. I mean, I do. And the, the opening splash page is great where the, the bomb goes off, and then it's appointment in Prague. Um, right. And I like the shot. It's kind of goofy of, of the unknown soldier uh, getting the Medal of Honor, and he's in a suit. But he's got the the bandages on, right? <laughs> like right, the negative like, man bandages. Yeah, the negative man bandages. Yeah, exactly. Well, I like um, the the opening page is this stat of uh, well, at first it's it, it's penciled in the middle of him standing at the marker of the unknown soldier, uh, but behind him is statted in um, I guess that's uh, just different shots from World War II, which are are, are kind of cool the way those are statted in. I just and it's in black and white. They're in black and white. The the drawings yep. in color, and then the photos are in black. That's a nice touch. Yeah. So I was doing a little reading on this, um, and it's interesting. One, one particular blogger I found was commenting on how Archie Goodwin, who wrote this story, that his version of The Unknown Soldier was really very different from Bob Kaniger and Joe Kubert's version because that was uh, more like – as, as, and I'm stealing words from too busy thinking about comics comics.blogspot.com here. He says that he felt like the, the Kaniger and Kubert's version was a hyper-confident and super-heroic GI uh, that basically inspired all these troops, whereas Archie Goodwin was more of the faceless soldier who's a man who can barely save the day despite being his very best efforts hmm. so uh and he brings death wherever he goes so it was very much more, a, a more wounded character under goodwin's uh pen and i i just ate this up so i i've never read many unknown soldier issue stories uh we read one of the previous digest i like this i felt like i connected more with this one so i think i'd like to read some more of the God, uh, goodwin uh, unknown soldiers i thought this was great it would make a great tv series because it's mm-hmm. episodic by nature you know, like he's always sure. going into some new thing and doing this or whatever. So, and the the name is great. I mean, and the visual is great. You know, I mean, you could just, although I guess an actor would be like, I don't want to keep putting bandages on my face every week. But sure. But uh, but yeah, no, this was a this was definitely a solid story. And uh, this is one of the characters they brought back when they launched the New Fifty Two. Uh, they That's right. they did uh, Blackhawks, which wasn't really Blackhawks, no, but then they did not. Unknown Soldier. So yep. yeah. All right. All right. So your favorite is Enemy Ace. Um, my favorite is Unknown Soldier with Enemy Ace right behind it, uh, and then Sergeant Rock. I thought was the third best out of the three. I I I have such an affection for the haunted chateau story, even though I can't really. <laughs> You know, it's so ridiculously goofy, but I, I, anything drawn by Alex Toth, it's our, to me, I'm like, you're 90% of the way there. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's it, folks. Uh, that is the digest. Let's see. Uh, so go out there and, and find DC Special Series number 18, Sergeant Rock's Prize Battle Tales from 1979. It is super fun. And uh, this has been a lot of fun doing this for Veterans Day. I really appreciated this. And uh, by the way, you can see if you, if you have this digest, you can make sure that there's an ad where you can pick up some other digest, which is the Batman digest and the Jonah Hex and other Western Tales digest. So these are little books that pack a big punch, as DC likes to say. So were those more Blue Ribbon digests, or was that legitimately uh, a Batman had his own digest at one point and Jonah Hex had his own digest at one point? Batman, that is, that, that is actually part of the anthology DC digest series. Jonah okay. Hex got his own digest series. Oh, wow. Uh, for okay. three issues, and then it was right. canceled. But yeah, he did get his own. He was that big of a star that he had his own digest series. Batman? No. Jonah Hex? Yes. Wow. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to go to break in just a second here, but I would like to point out we have now reached the mark of how long I said it would take to do this episode. And if you notice, go back and re-listen. Rob drew out every single one of his stories to try and take as much time as possible to blow the deadline I set. Thanks for your help, Rob. I, but one sentence synopsis. That's all I'm going to say. All right, folks, when we come back on the other side, we're going to have your feedback from the last Digest cast about the Super Friends with Sean Myers. Fifty years ago, Southeast Asia became a home away from home for two million Americans as they fought on the biggest, the longest, 
and most controversial conflict their nation had known since the war between the states. Old enough to kill, but too young to vote. This is their story. Stan Lee presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Panneries, as I bring you an issue-by-issue look at The Nom, the Marvel Comics series that documented the lives of troops in the Vietnam War. Each episode covers one issue of the comic, as well as the history of the war, and I also take the occasional look at movies, music, television, novels, and other culture of the Vietnam War. New episodes drop every two weeks at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run. Plus a few surprises hosted by me, Rob Kelly and a rotating group of my super friends coming soon from the fire and water podcast network. It all looks good to me. All right, we're back, and as I said, we're going to cover your feedback from episode 10 of Digest Cast, where Rob and Sean talked about the Super Friends. Why don't you kick us off, buddy? Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone who's a bigger fan of the Super Friends than, than me, uh, it is Sean Myers. Like, he just is obsessive over the Super Friends, and so I, he, he was the perfect guest to uh, talk about that Super Friends Digest on, so thanks so much for doing that, Sean. So these are all comments, of course, from our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com, and we start off with Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Bucks Commentary, and and a member of the Legion of Super Bloggers. He says, great show. Oh, he, was, he, was a, he was a past guest on Digest Cast, too. He helped That's discover right. Supergirl he did Digest. Supergirl, yes. And we've gotten to hang out with him. I've, got, I've actually met the man now. I'm very excited about that. We've met a few of these people, actually. That's right. That's right. Uh, he says, great show. Didn't know about this Digest. Love that painted cover. I bet Superman does great voices for the characters when he reads stories like this. That first story is bananas. So many throwaway villains. I do wonder what boot is sticking out of the D in Super Friends. Unless we have a saw moment, it is someone unseen. I'm definitely a Marvin Wendy person over Wonder Twins. Yeah, Ange, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he says, I have to admit, I have a grudging sort of respect for the Super Friends comics. I never bought them on my own because they seemed like kids' comics even when I was a kid. I was reading Lee Romina reprints in Marvel Tales and Dick Dillon era JLA. Why would I ever choose Spidey Super Stories or Super Friends over those? In fact, the only time I got Super Friends comics were when they were well-meaning relatives would bring some for me. Of course, they knew I loved the cartoon, but you, you took what you could get on the small screen. Still, despite suppressing an eye roll of the Super Friends comic gift, I usually enjoyed them for the simple series stories they were yeah even as uh, you and even when i was a kid i recognized that the super friends comic was aimed a little young but i loved it anyway because it was just a bunch of dc heroes all together so i was happy with it i have read very 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 few super friends comics but with the launch of your new podcast i have every intention of fixing that and reading as many as i can get my hands on because as you pointed out in previous episodes it was like a second jla comic mm-hmm. you know yeah. a month so i i think i need to uh, reconcile this it's a wonderful series and so i'm looking forward to talking about it so i mean ramona freighton goodness ramona gracious ramona freighton mostly drawn by ramona freighton how can you beat that uh to another comment from brian hughes who does the third degree burn podcast over two true freaks.com he says hey rob I've been listening to your Digest show from the beginning, and you're really hitting my fandom in the heart. I remember getting these Digests wherever they showed up at the Utotem 
convenience store down the street. I really hope you cover the Batman Digest that preceded the Super Friends Digest as it contains some really great stories across Batman's history. We'll get to it eventually, Brian, I promise. Uh, the Super Friends Digest was so interesting as that it was really weird to see Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog along with the Wonder Twins in comics at all. For whatever reason, the Super Friends comics themselves never wound up in the magazine rack where my comics showed up each week. Uh, then, uh, then there were stories added in that were not Super Friends stories at all. Now, regarding the Cosmic Hitman, he, for whatever reason, made me think of the Hanna-Barbera character Frankenstein Jr. It may just be the color scheme of his head, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. He does kind of look like Frankenstein Jr., Brian, so that's a, that's, that's a, fair, uh, a fair comparison. <laughs> uh, so next up is Ryan Daly, of course, from our network. Uh, he does a whole bunch of shows for us, and he says, That cover is really special. Easily the single best image of the Super Friends I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a beautiful painting. It's by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise his name. Uh, and it, I believe it's got – was painted, I think, partly by Joe Orlando. And so it just has that wonderful, warm feeling. And it's just – as I have mentioned to Shag, I think on this very show, I'm a sucker for superheroes being social together. Like right. I just love those covers. Uh, the, the first Digest we ever covered was the Justice Society where they're, like, they're working on that giant stone eagle. And like yes. they're all building it, and Batman's got the schematic, and they're whatever. I just love all that, all that stuff. So that Super Friends well, cover is great. I've got it in my hands right now. I just love the, everyone's just hanging on every word Superman's saying, and and Superman looks so happy. It looks like he's almost like he's reading a Christmas Carol or yeah. something like that. Everyone is just so f- familial, uh, like a family sort of setting. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's a really great cover. Uh, we also got a comment from Chris Franklin, of course, also from our network. He says, I own this digest thanks to its generous host because I missed it as a kid. It does indeed have a wonderful cover. I think Joe Orlando did a part, painting part of it. Seems like I read that somewhere. Cindy and I covered the monster story on our Supermates House of Frank- Frankenstein series a few years back, and that's my favorite of this bunch, too. I love the idea of a mummy with stretchy plastic, man- plastic man-like bandages, too. I'm also a fan of Bill Drought's Teen Titans work. I could definitely see the Toth connection there. For a B-level book uh, that was sort of on its own quarter of the DC Universe at the time, Teen Titans had some great art from Cardi, Irv Novick, Drought, and even Gil Kane with Wally Wood. The Showcase Prisons volumes really point towards how lovely this art really is. Great show. Sean is a great guest. I barely missed that other guy. I bet he's crying in his popcorn. Jeez, OP, taking a beating here. (laughs) All right. Uh, then we heard from Mike Atchison and he says, uh, treasuries have a slight edge over digest for me, probably due to the grandeur of such a large comic. However, because digests were easier to find at the grocery store or the drugstore, I was able to buy many more of them and they hold a very special place in my heart. I love the idea of DC highlighting the year's best stories, especially if I had missed them in the regular comics, the collective enthusiasm of you and Sean I have for this issue and the super friends in general positively poured out of the podcast. I remember having this issue as a kid but it apparently did not survive the decades. Based on your reviews, I have ordered this digest online already to relive it all again. Look at that, Rob. You and Sean helping the American economy. Well done, sir. Thank you, Mike. I hope that you come back and leave a comment and let us know what you thought of it when we read it again, whether it held up for you. And, and I would like to point out, you know, Mike specifically called out the uh, the year's best stories, which is uh, some of my highlights with these digests we've covered. I think my favorites so far have been like the War Digest and the uh, the, the year's best stories because you get such a variety. I like I getting a, I like getting the variety. I have a harder time with like the Green Lantern Digest where it's like okay, it's a bunch of Green mm-hmm. Lantern stories. I like the varieties. That's for me. That is a little. If you look at the the later run of the DC Digest, they're like half just all Superman theme books. 
And after a while, you're like, all right, Superman versus aliens, really? I can't read it. You know, <laughs> like, where can where can I see that? Uh, right. So uh, we got a comment from Brian Linton, who uh, we also met over at the Boston Fan Expo uh, this year, which was very exciting. Mm-hmm. He says, I really enjoyed your coverage of this digest. The cover itself is a thing of beauty. I also appreciate the I'd like to buy the world a Coke theme that runs through all these stories. That's a <laughs> message that never grows old. Man, if only I'd known there was a Super Friends combo back when I was a kid, then I would have started clicking the comics much sooner than I did. As it is, I'm glad that podcasts like this exist to feed my inner child. Thank you Aww. very much, Brian. Uh, Edo Boznar left a comment. He says, oh, yeah, great show. And what a great substitute for Shag. Don't tell him I said so, but if he finds himself unable to continue co-hosting, Sean would make a fine replacement. What the hell is happening here? <laughs> and you have to read all of these comments? You know, we pick and choose what we read aloud. I'm reading every one of these. So uh-huh. uh, so he says, I had this digest back in the day and really enjoyed it. At the point, at that point, I had begun picking up the regular Super Friends comic, but I had missed about the first dozen issues, so it was nice getting a few of the early adventures. I really I really love these three stories in this one, especially the first and last. I can't really decide which one I liked better. I knew the villains in the World Beater story were throwaway characters, but back when I thought a few of them, like Thunderhead, Ultralight, Bombshell, and Apparition, seemed like they could have been pretty cool. As for the two extra stories, while the JLA one made more sense because the Super Friends were kind of like a subunit of the JLA, I still like the Teen Titans story far more. Like Brian Hughes above, whenever I reread the book, I pretty much skipped the JLA story. The Teen Titans story made such an impression on me, in fact, that I remember thinking, hey, there's already a hero called Starfire when the new Teen Titans were launched, featuring a new and admittedly more pleasing to the eye character with the same name. I love this idea of the Super Friends being like a subset of the JLA. Mm-hmm. Like, like certain members weren't invited. Like, yeah. oh, sorry, elongated man, you're not part of the Super Friends. Come on, guys, let's go. Well, it's hey, pizza time, and we'll and we'll we'll get to this on the show. But it's like there were like the JLA members guested at Super Friends a lot. So, yeah, Red Tornado's in one, and Flash, Green Lantern, Adam, Hawkman, Green, you know, like, so it's like, what did they do when they, like, they had the villains over to the, the heroes over the whole justice, and they're like, okay, you have to, you have to get out now. This is just for the five of us. Okay. Did Firestorm guest star? I'm sure he didn't, because I don't, I don't remember that happening. No, he did not. He did not. But then, I don't think Zatanna does, but the Hawks do, Red Tornado does, I don't think a long, I think a long game might. We'll get into it. We'll get into it on the show. All right. Uh, but, but yeah, it's like, you know, so the talking dog can stay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The talking dog. Right. Can stay. You, you have to get out, Red Tornado. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we got a comment from Martin Gray, who does the uh, Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. He says, Tomahawk, verb, to entice children into buying a book with the promise of one thing, then give them another. <laughs> I've been tomahawked. Uh, oh, dear. I have been pee- I'd have been peeved to have bought this as a kid, only to find it had a super worthy JLA story in a teen tight story with a grumpy Russian in it. Oh, well, at least the Super Friends tales themselves are good, and oh, yes, indeed, what a cover. I like images of Heroes Reading, with Shazam number four being another fave, and an Infinity cover and photo cover to boot. Yeah, that's another good one, Reese. Shazam reading a Shazam comic to a bunch of kids. That's a really sweet cover. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Martin goes on to say, as to whether Ian Nelson uh, Bradwell it was a nice man, in the mid-70s, when I was about 12, I wrote to DC asking for a solution to the bizarro invasion of Earth slash the great DC contest from Superman number 169 in May 1964, a month before I was born. So yes, folks, they had back issues back then. He says, uh, the challenge was to find the letters D and C in the story. Somehow the great Jerry Siegel had penned the whole script with them appearing only once. 
I was convinced they were actually hidden in a literal puff of smoke, but Nelson was sweetly, uh, was sweetly put me right. And the notepaper was wonderful. A tower of heroes on one side with the then new DC bullet showing only on the reverse. Thank you, Mr. Bridewell. I have a couple of those, uh, those letterheads and those are, those are really cool. I was so excited when I would get those in the mail. Those all rejection letters? Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, I've seen that where everyone's stacked on each other's shoulders, right? Mm -hmm. And I think at the top someone's holding the DC bullet or something like that. Yeah, I've seen some of that notepad, uh, notepaper before. It's nice. I I would get rejection letters uh, from women uh, that had nothing to do with DC Comics, but somehow they wrote them on DC Comics stationery, which made it it even more painful. But what can I tell you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, We got a comment from Ward Hill Terry, who we also met at the Boston Fan Expo. Good Lord. Crazy. Uh, (laughs) That was like Endgame, that thing. It was just so many people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He says, another fine, enjoyable podcast, despite or because of Shag's absence. Jeez, oh, Pete. (laughs) I Why do all. I come back for this crap? I just Sean, did, you, Sean, you can have the job. Basically, what I did was just hit um, Control F and I put in Shag, and then I just highlighted all the times it found Shag in the letters. Perfect. Uh, like, like Ange, I gave the Super Friends comic a big miss in my buying days. I was not then aware of how carefully Nielsen Birdwell was integrating the stories into the wider DC tapestry. It seems to me that fandom makes fun of Roy Thomas. Hey, I know him for making connections between disparate characters and stories, while it praises writers like. Grant Morrison for similar things. E. Nelson Bridwell have been doing it quietly all along. That's a great point, Wardhill. That is a very good point, yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, regarding the story choices, I imagine that the catalog was pretty thin. When the decision was made to publish a Super Friends Digest, the comic would have been around for only about two years. I cannot argue the wisdom of a Super Friends Digest, as it was a viable property from another medium, and the Digest would appeal to many non-regular comic buyers. I expect when it came to choosing stories, there must have been only a handful of viable ones. Would they have reprinted stuff from the current year? Unlikely so. So that decreases the options. I highlighted this part because I just wanted to point out, actually, I... I'll, I'll take an opposite point with Ward Hill Terry, which, by the way, I did in Boston, where he and I argued the whole night long. Um, <laughs> by the way, you don't want to be on the wrong side of an argument with Ward Hill Terry because you so won't tall. feel good about it. He's so tall. He, he is, and he's got great hair, too. Anyway, um, us bald guys, we notice these things. So uh, while they didn't have a lot of stories to choose from, you know, they did do the comic's best stories for that year quite frequently in the Digest. So they were already pulling from contemporary stories, and I would say selling to the the Digest at that point in the supermarkets and such is such a different market than the kids who were possibly picking up Super Friends on the uh, the spinner racks that I think they could have delved into some more of the Super Friends stories. But, I mean, it's it's just a you know an argument in – interesting just for the sake of the argument, but I, I think they could have dug into those without really much uh, – uh, concern of overlap. Yeah, it is. It is. It does make for a weird collection that that, that they're not super friend stories, other than the one. It is kind of like a strange idea. Uh, you can forgive the treasury for not being that because the treasury was actually done before the super friends comic. But by mm. the time they got to the digest, they had stories. So yeah, this is, is a kind of a, a weird little choice. But uh, again, I'm glad for what we. It, it was worth it just for that cover. Even if they yeah. put a JLA stories, I still would have worth it for that cover. I think well, I even, the, tre- the treasury cover and the digest cover both are both great. Them. I think I even joked with Sean on that episode that I would love to make that cover like a t-shirt like get mm. like scan it in and like clean it up and get rid of all the trade dress and just make that drawing like a, a t-shirt because i just that I would just be love lovely. that image it's so it's so wonderful uh and then finally we got a comment from gothos mansion he says i got this digest off the spinner rack 
back in the day. I think it was the first time I ever bought a reprint collection and found that I had one of the original issues. Super Friends 4 is one of the first comics I ever bought. Uh, it is my favorite story in the Digest, not just because of the nostalgia. I love the Riddler giving clues to someone else's crime, but then having to commit a crime that matches the clues. That is just a brilliant story idea. At the time, I was hugely in love with the Batman TV show, still am, and Frank Gorshin's Riddler was one of my favorites, so my first Riddler comic has to rank high. The Super Friends monster story for number 10 was a neat little twist, and I enjoy it too. I later got Super Friends number 3 in one of those old comics collections in the Christmas catalog. I'm surprised you liked it because Wendy and Marvin saved saved the day. That's exactly why I didn't like it. I, I I like Wendy and Marvin, even though I know I kind of like they're not great. I just I don't know. I liked them anyway. <laughs> I I am torn. I have not seen very many episodes of Wendy and Marvin. I do find that they uh, they draw Wendy pretty hot when they draw her in comics. So it's kind of you know she I get some points there. Uh, and Zan and Jaina are extremely annoying. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a tough call, but they've got cool powers. You know, I mean, so I I, I maybe have both and then just leave them home a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Well, folks, that is going to do it. We, uh, the, so that was a, a, a great way, I feel like, uh, to celebrate in, uh, Veterans Day. Uh, again, thank you out there to all the veterans. We sincerely appreciate your service. And now on to the next episode. I don't know what's about to happen here, folks. Rob has kept this a secret. It's almost like a Folgers taste test kind of moment. He's going to spring on me what the Digest is we're reading for next time. I, it's going to be Venom, isn't it, Rob? The Marvel Venom one, I bet. I'm hitting the microphone right now with the book. Um, as we're recording this, I had just finished uh, the our first Patreon-inspired episode, which was the Transformers audio commentary I did with Ryan Daly. And yes. uh, it was kind of a breeze, really. I'm feeling kind of cocky. Uh, oh, no so, way. So, my, my gift is finally going to see the light of day. So for the next Digest, we are going to do the Transformers Comics Magazine number two. That's the, one Spider- that's the one with Spider-Man guest starring. So that is what we're going to do for the next Digest cast. I have this it sitting is, this right This is here. incredible. So this will be our first classic Marvel Digest we've done because we've done the contemporary Marvel Digest that came out a year or two ago, but we've never done a classic Marvel Digest. Yeah. So, and this is this is great. I, I bought this for you a while ago as a quote unquote present, um, <laughs> not thinking that we'd ever do it. So I'm very excited. Oh, I can't wait. In the awesome. space of calendar year 2019, I will have covered Transformers on Treasury Cast, Digest Cast, and the Film and Water Podcast. So I think I'm growing as a person. I think so, too. Now, what, what you guys don't know is I have been petitioning for a couple of years to do a Transformers week where we do a whole week of Transformers shows. But Rob has blown that out of the water now by already covering all this crap on his other network, on his other shows. So, oh, well, I guess it's not going to happen. I but, do have another network, by the way. That, that was not a slip of the tongue. I do have another network going on. It's a whole other bunch of shows. It's the uh, – it's the uh, I, I can't even make the joke work because I can't remember her name. The Laura Gemster network is what that <laughs> The Laura Gemster, yes. That's right. All right. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. So you know where to leave the feedback, folks. Go out to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Look for Digest Cast. Go out to episode 11 and let us know your thoughts on this Digest. Uh, all these great stories of Sergeant Rock and Unknown Soldier and Enemy Ace and all the other stories in there. Uh, let us know what you thought of the Super Friends Digest if you haven't told us already. Go out to iTunes. Leave us a review. That would be greatly appreciated. We, that would mean a lot to us. It would help to raise the profile of the show a bit. And, Rob, I think uh, we have a Twitter account for Digest Cast. Yes, we do. It's just uh, Digest Cast over on Twitter. Of course we have a Twitter account. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, folks, that's going to do it. As always, remember, big things come in small packages. We've got a war to fight. There's an enemy airfield around here somewhere, and our job is to turn it into Swiss cheese. 
Welcome to Easy Company, soldier. <laughs>